are listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Emswich from Temple Beth Shalom. Soul Searching is a journey where I engage with faith leaders and academics to explore deep questions of meaning. Questions that all of us ask at some point in our lives, such as, why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? Is truth relative or absolute? Is there life after death? And to help us in our journey this evening, we're very honoured to be joined by Hollis Walker, an ordained interfaith minister, certified spiritual director, and a board-certified clinical chaplain. Hollis, welcome. Thanks, Neil. Let's start with the obvious question. What is an interfaith minister, and how does it differ from a minister of a particular faith itself? Well, the term interfaith minister really kind of is a misnomer because it sounds like I'm ministering to people in between or, you know, different faiths or something mm. like that. Um, an interfaith minister like myself is someone who attended a seminary that's where I studied the world's religions um, for the purposes of being able to minister to people of all religions or no faith at all. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the way it differs from a minister of a particular faith is that I'm not imposing my faith on anyone I work with. I am eliciting from them what their faith, what their beliefs are, and trying to support them in those beliefs, or in some cases trying to help them uh, discern what those beliefs are. And also, I would say that most interfaith ministers are not congregational ministers. Uh, Most of the people in my seminary have gone on to serve as chaplains in various capacities. Uh, One of my colleagues is a chaplain, a very well-known chaplain at San Quentin Prison. Mm -hmm. Another is the chaplain for an Episcopal retirement home where she Mm. provides services in many different traditions. And, uh, you know, myself, I'm a hospice chaplain for Ambercare Hospice here in Santa Fe. Um, hospital chaplains. I've also worked in um, a homeless shelter. So, you know, we're, we're doing more on the street work, as mm-hmm. it were, with people. How, when I, when I went to the rabbinic college, I studied for five years of formal study. And I, um, I came out thinking, wow, I know nothing about my tradition, um, in the sense that I knew more texts, but it, it made me realize how enormous even just the Jewish tradition is. How, how do you hold so many faith traditions together in a way that helps re- people engage in depth of, of each tradition? Well, for one thing, I am not an expert in anyone else's traditions, and, and that's, not my, that's not my aim. Um, and most of the people that I have worked with in the past decade as a, as a minister and a chaplain, are not interested in the finer points of theology. Right. They could care less. You know, they are looking for some kind of succor, some kind of comfort, some kind of support. And we have conversations about their beliefs, and I try to find out what it is they believe. And in fact, I mean, what I often find out is that people who belong and are very devout in a particular religion, maybe they grew up in that religion, actually don't know that much about the theology mm-hmm. of their own religion. Many Catholics very devout people who love their church. Um, you know, they've, they've never studied the theology of Catholicism, you know, and the same is true of people of other religions. So, um, and since I work with the dying, on their deathbeds, no one says to me, let's have a conversation about eschatology, you know, or right. something <laughs> like that. <laughs> what does the Mishnah say on? Right. right. That's, that's not where they are. So, yeah. so is interfaith ministry more more about the ministry for all people than it is about being an interfaith ministry. Do you know what I mean by that? 
it's not representing yes, itself yes. as as, mm-hmm. as interfaith work specifically. It's mm-hmm. just being able to be there to hold people regardless of faith almost. Right. For me, that's true. Now, there are a lot of interfaith ministers who are very actively involved in the World Council of Churches and, you know, involved in connecting various religious groups together and forging new relationships and collaborations. I personally am only involved in that in the smallest way here in our Interfaith Leadership Alliance, of which you are the chair. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, my answer is yes. For me, at least, my interfaith ministry is about my connection with individuals. One of the, the challenges for me as a reform rabbi is the, the idea of denominationalism, the idea that I'm a reform rabbi, not an orthodox rabbi. And I understand in Jewish tradition that's slightly different because of, of halakha, because of Jewish law, and how, for example, the orthodox community would view me being a rabbi. And, and, and I understand that, and we, we celebrate our difference in a very positive way, especially in Santa Fe. I, I guess for me, one of the questions, though, is so many Jews now, and I can speak about my own community, so many Jews say, I'm not a reformed Jew, I'm not a conservative Jew, I'm just a Jew already. Mm -hmm. And we we seem to be moving to an age of almost post-denominationalism. And I wonder if interfaith chaplaincy is a reflection of that, or if it is a a, a push towards that. I wonder what your thoughts are on that. I think it's both, probably. Um, I think it's more often for me in my day-to-day life, it's a reflection. One of the things, a couple of the things that I do a lot of is I do a lot of weddings. I do weddings for people who are not religious. I do weddings for people who are of two different faiths, mm-hmm. or one is religious and the other is not. Um, and part of what I'm doing when I do that wedding is trying to be inclusive with those two people whom I'm marrying, and every who's coming, and I'm trying to speak to them in spiritual mm-hmm. terms, use perhaps some religious ritual in order to engage them all. And the same is true of memorials. That happens for me. I do a lot of memorials, both for my own patients and for other people who do no longer, maybe they grew up in a religion, but they're no longer actively engaged in a church, a mosque, right. or a temple, or anything. And yet they want to have and need to have ceremony and ritual as a as a means of moving through the process of someone dying. And so I end up doing that. And so, you know, it's both reflection and promotion. And you would not believe what's so interesting to me um, is how many people come up to me after a memorial service and say, where is your church? I want to come. Uh-huh. And. And I don't think that's a reflection of me personally, Hollis. They're not going, oh, Hollis, you're so cool. They might be. They might be. But (laughs) I think they're hearing the larger message that I'm giving them, which has no no constraints. It has no law inherent in it, no religious law. It has nothing but, I hope, love and compassion and inclusion, you know? This obviously challenges me from a uh, from my own faith perspective, which is good, which is why we're here to discuss, to to learn from each other. Um, I guess part of my difficulty is who owns ritual, by which I mean um, when a you know, in the in my community in Temple Beth Shalom, we're very inclusive to mixed faith couples, um, and I can give them a a ceremony that is authentic to the Jewish community because I come from that community. If a, a person comes to you and says, I'd like an interfaith wedding and one of us happens to be Jewish or, or from any other community, 
what does it mean for you to be engaging in those rituals of a tradition that isn't yours? And I don't, I'm not asking that in an accusatory way at all. I'm asking that in a way of what does that mean for you? Um, what, what is the role of ritual in that place? Is it a ritual of, let's say, let, let's take a, a Jewish wedding as an example. Right. Is it a Jewish ritual, which means it's for the Jewish community to use as they wish? Um, or is it a ritual that comes from the Jewish tradition, which means anyone can do it so long as you acknowledge it's from the Jewish tradition? Or is it something else? Mm. Probably the, the, the middle one. <laughs> I'll <Okay>. take B. <laughs> In that it's a Jewish ritual, I would always acknowledge anything I borrowed from another religion. Mm-hmm. Most of all, I always um, ask the, the couple or the family that I'm working with, what would you like to include? What would be meaningful for you? I would never do a ritual that I felt was um, only appropriately done by a member of the clergy of that religion. Um, it's not my you know, a place to cross those boundaries, right. so to speak. But to adapt things from other religions can be interesting. And, and things that you might think of as sort of proprietarily Jewish, as we know, may go way back before Judaism ever existed. And, and there are so many rituals that are so common to all religions right. or ideas of rituals. Right. And I've, I've, done, I've done weddings where the couple wanted to have like seven different rituals going on from all different traditions. Right. You know, so, yeah. I, part of me really likes this idea because it because it's inclusive. I mean, it seems a very modern perspective, and I understand the role of of religion is to develop in the modern age. I I, I really hold that. At the same time, when you have seven rituals, let's say from seven different faith traditions, is it being authentic to those faith traditions to include them with others? And and I'm not sure of my answer yet. So I, I'm interested by your answer. Um, you know, there's a reason why I don't give, um, I don't know, I, I don't include a Christian blessing under a chuppah, under a, a you know, right. wedding, mm-hmm. because that's not authentic to my tradition and wouldn't be authentic to that tradition, I don't mm-hmm. think. Um, so how, how do you hold together these things with authenticity? What, what's the key for you? I think, to me, I don't think of them as... Um, as rituals that belong to a particular religion. I think of them as larger symbolic and metaphoric events that these people would like to have included in their wedding or their memorial or whatever. And as long as they're done with respect and, uh, you know, for mm. that, that, those people. Um, yeah, uh, I, I can totally understand how you feel, though. And, you know, it comes to, like, the Native American idea of, of commodification. You're stealing my right. rituals and practicing them as if you were a Native American and you're not. And those are really huge philosophical questions. I guess, I guess that you've, you've put that very nicely. I guess that's part of it. When you say you understand how I feel, I'm not even sure how I feel <laughs> about this. But I, I think partly if somebody comes to me and says, can we include this, can we include this? I think, do you know where this comes from? Um, and, and so for me, hearing your perspective of these are larger things, they're not owned by the community themselves, but, but aren't they expressions of the beliefs of the community? So, for example, when we have, let's take the chuppah the, from my perspective, since we're, we're carrying on this example. The chuppah is the wedding canopy, uh, which bride and groom will stand on, or the, um, the married couple, I should say, actually, will, will stand under. And that that is a visual representation of the home, but also is a metaphor about God. Um, but if somebody says we like that because it looks good, because it because it, it seems nice, that my challenge is 
where where is it an authentic ritual as opposed to yes i think you know each community is giving of themselves to life rituals you know what i mean yeah, I because do, every ritual stands for something doesn't it yeah but who confers authenticity that's the question right. is it is it just the elders in the church i mean you know martin luther could go on about that but and did but <laughs> <laughs> you know i people don't ever come to me and say i want to have a chuppah or i want to do this or that because it looks good um it's it's always an authentic search for what will make this feel like a meaningful ceremony for us. What will make us feel like we're really married? And I have a lot of people who say to me, "Well, we just we just want to do a really quick thing. So, like, just make up some vows." You know, they you know, okay. and and I <laughs> and I say to them, you know. If we do that, it's not going to feel real to you. Right. You know, we have to create a ritual. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be religious. You know, but we have to create something that when you leave, you mm -hmm. will have been changed, you know, by the event. Mm -hmm. You know, not just, not just that you will change. You will have been changed, you know. See, your question about who, who determines authority, I think, is really important here. Um, and and I, I, I think I'm gleaning from you. The idea that rituals, or your perspective that rituals don't have authority, they have event. Um, they, they create a, p a particular kind of event, and people within a tradition can give it their authority, but that's not necessarily the authority of the ritual. I wonder, is yes. that, is that yeah. where you are? Yeah, that the ritual itself has its own authority. And, and there is uh -huh. a way that people, that's why people in different cultures come up with things that are so similar, I believe, is that there is some inherent meaning to these rituals on their own. This is fascinating. We're going to take a break. And, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the role of religion today. So we're listening to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil from Temple Beth Shalom uh, and my guest this evening, Hollis Walker, uh, ordained interfaith minister. You're back listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. And my guest this evening is Hollis Walker, an ordained interfaith minister. And we've been exploring ritual and the authenticity and the authority of ritual. And, and I guess this leads to the question of the role of religion today. And, and I'm wondering, particularly as an interfaith minister, what your perspective is on this. You know, it's really interesting. I'll have to answer that mainly from my perspective as a hospice chaplain. Um, at the hospice where I work, because I'm an interfaith minister, I end up being assigned to most of the patients who are um, Buddhist or Hindu or Muslim or atheists or agnostics or whatever they mm -hmm. are, as well as many Christians and Catholics, because mm -hmm. we have a lot of Christians and Catholics here. Um, but the, the role that religion plays in people's lives varies so widely. You know, the Pew, Big Pew research study that comes out every so often, the last round they did, there's still something like three-quarters of Americans who still feel themselves members or belonging or, you know, somehow affiliated with a particular faith. Um, but... You know, when I see people at the bedside, more and more I find that they have left their faith behind. Not their faith, wrong word. They have left church. Right. They have They're left organized, organized religion behind. Right. A long, sometimes a long time ago. Jews, uh, many Jewish people will mm -hmm. say to me, you know, I'm culturally Jewish. Mm -hmm. You know, you hear that. Or I, I have my beliefs, but I haven't been to temple in years. Mm -hmm. um, and and uh, that's true of people of other faiths mm -hmm. as well. And 
more so, more even more importantly, as you get near the end of life, more and more people say, oh, it doesn't really matter. There's just one God. And they are, you know, even though they may have been very uh, attached to a particular religion at an earlier time, they're no longer that attached as they face the end of their lives. Interesting. Yeah, I find that fascinating. Because, of course, you and I would have different experience mm -hmm. because of the people who we see. You know, for, for me, very often when I go and see somebody, they say, can you say a prayer from the tradition? And, th and they want a very specifically Jewish thing. But that's, of course, why they ask for the rabbi to come. Right. Um, so, yes, I, I totally understand. So for you, then, if what is, the, the, I guess, goes back to the same question, the role of religion today or in the future, indeed, um, how, where do you see it going or, or how do you see religion today and, and where, it, where it's developing to? Is it something that, I mean, it sounds almost like something that, um, I guess, I guess I, the question is really about organized religion versus religion, isn't it? Yeah, or organized religion versus re religion versus spirituality, you know, because what, what I hear in my world is so much that people have left behind religion, the dogma, mm -hmm. for their own spiritual search. You know, so their own having an independent spiritual search has not been encouraged within their faith traditions. You know, they've been told this is what we believe and this is what you should do. And, you know, they want to step outside that. You know, they're watching Oprah on Sunday mornings, <laughs> right. <laughs> right? right? You know, and um, they're interested in the religions and faith of other, other places, especially Eastern religions, you know, have such a strong foothold here. Of course, we live in a little bubble right. of Santa Fe, right. right? So we're all spiritual seekers here, <laughs> nine out of ten Santa Fe. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the thing about dividing spirituality and religion for me is, is difficult. It's challenging because, because, I, and, and maybe this comes from a Jewish perspective where the question is more important than the answer. And I appreciate that there are differing faith communities where the answer is more important than the question. And, and I understand that. And we've had guests on this show who've represented both ends of that. Um, but for me, um, being religious isn't about not being spiritual you know it's about profoundly being spiritual so i guess i'm challenged by this idea you know when people say well i'm, I'm spiritual but not religious and so i i you know experience spirituality in the sunset and i think you think i don't you know um that that for me is quite challenging so where where's the divide for you where do you experience that you know that's a good question um i think that Spirituality is uh, beyond and above religion in some ways. Um, that religion can be encompassed by spirituality um, and not necessarily the other way around. Um, you know, and that Pew Research, uh, now they say six out of ten Americans say their life has become more spiritual mm -hmm. over time, mm -hmm. that they are becoming more and more spiritual. And I, and I think that's very... It's very interesting. And when I meet with people, a lot of the time I have people who say, well, I'm an atheist or I don't know if there's a God or whatever. And I say, great, what's your passion? What do you love? Mm. You know, and I remember one guy that had hiked um, every single trail in the East Bay Regional Parks District, which is a huge accomplishment. Right. You know, and I was like, there it is. There is your spirituality. You know, it's not the same as religion, but he was getting up every weekend and going out and taking these hikes and and that was his spiritual experience. But but there's a difference between between hobbies and that, isn't there? I I mean, yes. I I think 
You know, I like to paint little miniatures mm -hmm. uh, and, and it's calming and meditative, but it's not my spirituality. Mm -hmm. um, and walking can be a spiritual exercise or it can be sweaty, you know, difficult, you know, work exercise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so what's the line there? I think it's about intention. Don't you? I mean, you can meditate for your health right. or you can meditate to connect with some higher power or your, your own self or something. So, yeah. I think I, I'm intrigued by this by this division, I guess, because I, I think for me, one of the challenges as a as a member of clergy of a temple of an organized religion, although anyone who comes to a temple understands it's more disorganized religion. <laughs> um, I, I think for me. We try to hold people together, but the, the difficulty is actually usually liturgy. Mm -hmm. I think this is where the difficulty usually lies, which is when people read a prayer book and say, this is what the community believes, as opposed to this is a starting point for a discussion about my belief. Mm -hmm. And again, we've had members of clergy who've come into the show and said, if you want to know what we believe, read, read our prayer book. book. <laughs> right? that, that is our expression of belief. And if you don't believe that, then you'll be going to another place of worship. And I understand why some people might find that challenging in terms of their own spiritual journey. Well, at the same time, I understand there are people who find that very comforting yes. because it, it, it provides a boundary, a, a safe boundary. Mm -hmm. I think for me, when I read liturgy, though, liturgy is a starting point. So there are sometimes prayers that I read that I think, yes, that's exactly where I am. And prayers that I read that I think that that couldn't be more opposite to where I am. And for me, the prayer is not in what's on the page, but in my response. And so I wonder if part of the difficulty is when people look at all liturgy and say, well, I just don't believe that. I'm done with that organized stuff. I'm going to take a walk in the woods instead and find God there. Isn't there a middle ground? Can't, can't, can't there be somewhere in between? I think there can be, and it really depends on where you land in terms of a church or a worship community. You know, some places are very open-minded, and they encourage people to seek their own meaning, mm. you know, in the liturgy. And then others are not so much. There are a lot of literalists out there in all faith traditions, fundamentalists, we sometimes call sure. them, who, if you don't hew to this belief, you are not one of us. You know, but, you know, in terms of the future of religion, I think, you know, people go to a place of worship for really, to me, very simple two things, for love and for belonging. Mm -hmm. That's what we want. You right. know, we want to belong somewhere sure. and we want to feel love and be able to express love. And, mm. you know, that's the thing that we want to find. And when you go to mm. a place of worship and you and you don't get that, then you don't go back. From, I, I, I'm intrigued by this because I'm, I'm reflecting on my own loving community. I think there's also meaning, though, isn't mm -hmm. there? Yeah. That people look for meaning um, or for a, at least help in their understanding of meaning. And I wonder if part of this difference between organized religion and a larger sense of personal spirituality is people who feel I can get belonging elsewhere or not necessarily that this community wasn't loving, mm -hmm. but I also experienced love in these areas of my life. So I don't need to miss Oprah on a Sunday morning um, because I get right. love elsewhere. Mm -hmm. But it's the search for meaning mm -hmm. for me that becomes most challenging. And I guess partly that connects us back to those rituals, that rituals are laden with meaning. Mm -hmm. So then where do we go for our where do we go in that search for meaning, I guess? 
Yeah, no, I, I agree with you exactly that people people search for meaning and that, you know, many people will become involved with a place of worship, but they actually never go to worship services. They're there to be on the social justice team or right. or in the choir, you know, or whatever other activity they want to do, you know, because they find a place for themselves there and a place of meaning. Um, yeah. Your experience of differing interfaith communities um, you mentioned rituals that are that are common to different faith communities, and I'm I'm wondering for you and your experience, what are the main similarities between differing faith traditions that you say they all seem to be answering this or approaching this or exploring this or or trying to meet this need? What are, what are the similarities that you see between differing faith traditions? Well, most, but not all, of the major faith traditions, of course, believe in some kind of higher power, some kind of deity, or multiple deities, you know, as in Hinduism and things. But, um, you know, and so that's just a really structural thing. But also, you know, the classic line is that every religion has uh, its own version of the golden rule as mm -hmm. part of its um, belief system. Um, so I think of those as as kind of the primary things. It's funny, you know, the more you read, I've been reading uh, the Lotus Sutra and several other Buddhist texts to mm -hmm. one of my patients and uh, reading Daisu, uh, Daisaku, what's his name, Ikeda, the Japanese Buddhist who founded, uh, the, is the president of the, the current uh, Soka Gakkai sect of Buddhism. And uh, uh, it's amazing. You never think that in Buddhism you're going to read something that sounds very Christian. You know, you know, I think of Buddhism as a philosophy. It's not really a religion. Buddha is not a deity. You know, I think of that as East and West and so very different. But as I've been reading these books, I've been going, wow, that's so interesting. That relates to this. And, you know, the, it, it's Joseph Campbell and Carl Jung, right? right? Putting all these things together and saying we all have the same needs and we all express those needs in similar ways. And, and that's what religion arises from. So, yeah. Can Sorry, I'm not thinking of anything more specific. No, no, no. No, you definitely have. And I want to explore that a, a tiny bit further in, in the two minutes or so we have left. You, when you mention the golden rule, there's, there's two ways at least to interpret it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Or for me, the Hebrew, the le is directional towards. So show love to your neighbor. Those are two different ways of expressing the same thing one is love your neighbor which is a feeling a sentiment be you know view them in a particular way mm -hmm. and the other is act towards them in a particular way mm -hmm. and i'm wondering on your perspective on those at least those two different interpretations if not others of, of what is the golden rule to you is it is it how you are within yourself or is it how you are to, uh, to yeah, the other person. I think it's both. I think love without action is empty, you know, and so I think that there must be a, a reaching out to others to express um, what we want so much for ourselves, that, that love and compassion, you know. And yeah. is it possible to to show love without f truly feeling love? In other words, can we, can we learn yeah, to sure. love from... Oh, from yeah. Can we do the right actions and then that lead to love? I think yes, absolutely. Especially because when we do the right action, when we act out of love, even if we're not feeling love, we usually feel gratified somehow. We get something back from giving to someone else, and that just engenders another round. Well, I think I'll be even more loving, you right. know, and yeah, it's a circle. So, yeah. Thank you so much for your 
thoughts uh, today. Um, we've unfortunately run out of time, but um, Hollis Walker, in Interfaith Minister, we really want to, to thank you for your answers to today's questions and for this really wonderful exploration of, of um, faith and spirituality and organized religion itself. Thank you so much. Thanks, Neil. So I do hope you'll return sometime soon, definitely, so we can explore this more. You've um, been listening to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. And until we return again in two weeks' time, keep searching. <laughs>